Hey, good morning, everybody. How are you today? It's good to see you. Smile at me. You look good for a rainy day. Oh, yeah, that's right. Good to see you. If you've got your Bibles, take them and turn with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. Uh, we are in week two of 21 days of prayer and fasting, and I hope you're doing well, and I hope you are benefiting spiritually as well. Um, I also just know this, that um, praying for you, that God will do deep work in each of us. I hope you also are, have the ability to join us uh, either through the website or um, through social media every day for our devotions that we are kind of walking through scriptures together as well as the devotional guides. Um, and if you haven't yet had a chance to kind of get involved in that, it's not too late. Grab one of the devotional guides on the way out. Kind of make your commitment to the Lord. What do you want to do? And what do you want God to do in your life? And just watch what happens over these next two weeks, what God does in the remaining part of our days of prayer and fasting. Today, we are continuing a series we began a couple of weeks ago called Time for a Change. And today, I actually want to talk to you on a message called Face Your Past. And normally, when we talk about past, we're talking about your mistakes and your sins. But that's not what I want to talk to you today about. I want us to go deeper than that. I want us to let the Holy Spirit go deeper than that in our lives today. I believe that today, those in the room, those watching online, that the Holy Spirit wants to touch the deepest recesses of your heart to heal things that you have kept hidden, to heal the hurts and the wounds of your past. In 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, it says, Jabez was more honorable than his brother's. His mother named him Jabez, saying, I gave birth to him in pain. So Jabez cried out to the God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. And God granted his request. Let's pray. Lord, in the next few moments, Anoint the words that you've given me to say as they go forth. Anoint our ears to hear them and our hearts to receive them. But Holy Spirit, do the work that only you can do and take the word of God, the seed of God, and plant it deep within our hearts so that it may take root and take hold of the hurtful places that we need to let go of. And God, I pray that as you do that, that we'll be receptive to your spirit, receptive to your healing, and already giving you praise in advance for what you want to do. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. When you first look at this scripture, it is random when you look at the passage. Because this part of First Chronicles is not, it's not a narrative. There's not a story going on. There's not a weaving of something. This is literally a passage of genealogy. It's several chapters that's talking about here are the genealogies or the family lineages of all 12 of the tribes, the sons of Jacob. This is the ancestors, and these are their sons, and these are their grandsons, and their great-grandsons, and it keeps going through that. And they are one line. It is this person gave birth to, or if you've got a King James Version, it's the begats. This person begat, and this person begat, and this person begat. It's basically... This was a father, this was a son. This was a father, this is a son. It just kept going down the line. But for some reason, in this passage right here, God decides to take a pause for a moment to explain something about a man named Jabez. He, he, he actually is, don't, don't take this the wrong way, he's not important when it comes to the story. Like, he's not a king. He's not a ruler. He's not a prophet. He's none of those things. He's just one man in a family line of history that God is telling a story through. And yet, for some reason, God pauses right here to tell us something. This man, enduring much pain, much hurt, a lot of wounds in his life, decides to stop in a moment, face his past, and allow God to speak to his heart. There's three things I want you to see this morning. The first is this. There is a major difference between living in your past and facing your past. Jabez has a past. The, the, the passage tells us that 
He is, his name is literally means pain. That, that's his name. So if you were speaking Hebrew and translated to English and we're having an English conversation, you would introduce yourself. You would say, my name is pain. That's his name. And the reason for the name is because his mother endured pain in childbirth. And so she decided to name him pain to remind herself and himself of the hardship she endured at that moment. I'm not even going to talk about the mom here. But let's not even talk about, but I, what I, want to, I want to focus on Jabez. All his life, this man, every time he had a conversation with someone, hi, nice to meet you. What's your name? My name is Payne. Why in the world are you named Payne? Because in childbirth, when I had no ability to do wrong or right, I didn't have any ability to put any hardship. I had no responsibility in it. I couldn't do it. It was in the childbirth, my childbirth. My mother endured pain, and so she named me pain in order to remind me of that. All of his life, every conversation has to do with the hurt that he brought his mother and the choice that she made to put that pain on him all his life. The, the two words that are translated in this passage, pain, the very first one says, and there was a man named Jabez, and his mother named him Jabez because she said, in my birth, he brought me pain. That word pain means hardship. So it, it's not an opinion. It's a fact. She had a difficult childbirth. There's no denying that. Listen, here's the reality. There is no denying the fact that you're going to have hardships in your life. There's no denying that you're going to have pain in your life, okay? That, that's, not, that's not what this is about. Jesus said in this world, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have those things happen to you in your life. You're going to have moments of pain. You're going to have moments of hardship. And sometimes they're going to be minor and sometimes they're going to be major in your life. The second word that is translated pain in English Though when he prays to God and says he cries out to God, he literally finally gets enough of it, faces his past and cries out to God, oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory. And oh God, here's what he says. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. That word pain does not mean hardship. That word means to afflict or to have been afflicted with something. To be harmed. The first one, there's nothing anybody can do about. Hardship you can't do anything about. But he says, that's not why I have pain. I have pain because my mom, a person in my life, chose to inflict hardship and pain in my life because of something she endured. And I've got to live with it all the days of my life. He says, if you could just let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I can finally be free from pain. It's the cry of most people who will never admit it because the hurts and the wounds that you feel most deeply are the ones that you share in either the closest circles or with no one. It's the ones you keep hidden. He's dealt with it all of his life. And now he finally faces it. And I love this part. So think about this. He's not a ruler. He's not some important figure in First Chronicles or the history of Israel that's going to have a major impact on whether they are, whether they are um, ruling themselves or whether they get a victory over anybody. Nothing like that. It's nothing. It's one man that God chooses to highlight because of the pain in his life. But here, here's the most beautiful part, the very last sentence. After he prays that, and God granted his request. Someone who would normally be unseen 
and unnoticed, God lifts from the pages of Scripture and says, I care about that. And God granted his request. You may feel insignificant. You may feel like that God doesn't see you and nobody else sees you. You may feel like you're in your own world with your own pain and your own wound. Can I tell you something? God cares deeply about that. If he cared about Jabez in order to draw him out of a passage that had nothing to do with this, but take a moment and pause in that so that you could see his pain and you could see God grant his request. God wants you to know God hears your pain. And when you cry out to him and face your past, God is ready to grant your request. So there's a major difference when living in your past and having a victim mentality and facing your past. The second thing is this. The purpose of facing your past is to acknowledge the power and the influence it has on your life. The whole purpose is to recognize it. And the reason for that is this. We don't want to deny it because denying is just lying to ourselves. But it's to acknowledge it. So if you want to experience real change in your life, be the person God has called you to be, you're going to have to go back. You're going to have to understand how your experiences, how your friends how your family influenced your beliefs, your emotions, your desires, and your actions. They've influenced you whether you know it or not, whether you realize it or not. One of the common um, kind of jokes among uh, when, when we talk about um, psychologists, psychiatrists, and counselors is that um, the easy way out is just to always go and find the mommy or the daddy issue, right? But that's not the reality of that. The reality is they know something we don't know. And whether it's mommy or daddy, it means that the family that you grew up in, the influences around you have played a significant role in your life. And if you don't acknowledge those and you deny those things, you are not turning towards the things that have influenced who you are and who you've come to be. As a matter of fact, in the Bible, when it uses the word family, it is referring to not just your immediate family. It's referring to generations. It's referring to parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, mothers, I mean, um, brothers, sisters, uh, aunts, and uncles. All of those are included in that. Three or four generations is what's included. When the Bible talks about a family unit, it's talking about three or four generations, probably almost 150 years, which now makes sense of a passage that probably, I'm going to read you, and when I read it, I'm just going to tell you right up front, you're going to think, that is so unfair. And it feels to be unfair. It absolutely does. And it's, it's san- once again, it's sandwiched right in the middle of Exodus as it's telling us what God is giving us as the Ten Commandments. And in verses 4 through 6 of chapter 20, it says, Lord says, You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything on heaven, uh, in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Here we go. Punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Okay. Can we just not be super spiritual right now? When we read that and you just first hear that, how many think that's a little unfair? Punishing the kids? The parents? Three and four generations down the line? until you take a deep dive into what God means in his language. So first of all, when God says, for those who hate me and those who love me, there are feelings and emotions attached to that. But the literal side of that is hate means reject. Love means accept. So in the Old Testament, when God says, these people I have loved, these people I have hated, it means they have rejected me, so I reject them. They have loved me, I love them. So hate and love is rejection and acceptance with God. The other thing is this. There is such a deeper meaning to this passage when you understand what the word punish means when it says punishing the children to the third and fourth generation. The word punish in Hebrew means consequences that repeat or consequences that become fully known. So in other words... 
That means that the sins of one generation tend to repeat themselves or the consequences become fully known for up to three or four generations down the line. You say, I I don't understand what that means. So let me give you an example of this. When I was was in pre-grief and post-grief or grief counseling, my, my counselor, obviously, I told you the easy, way, the easy way is just look for a mommy and daddy issue, right? So there was a certain thing that came up that I said that um, for some reason he picked up on. I didn't like it, but he picked up on it anyway. And so we're, we're talking through this. And uh, so he starts asking me about my dad. He said, well, tell me about your dad. I told him about my dad. And he started asking questions. Well, do you, you know, and, and asking, was your dad too hard on you? Was your dad too easy on you? Did your dad put too high expectations? And I kept going, no, there's nothing wrong with my dad, man. And so he kept going and going and going until finally, finally I said, dude, like literally, this was, I went, dude, look at me. I don't have any problems with my dad. I don't have any problems with my mom. Can you step somewhere else? And then he explained, he said, well, let's expand this to your extended family. And as he expanded, and as I thought about it, And I realized that there were issues in my extended family for generations. Alcoholism, drug addiction, broken relationships. To such an extent that I can remember when I was in middle school and high school, when people asked me about my family, I generally didn't want to talk about it. Because... Embarrassment, shame, not in my immediate family, but in my extended family. And I realized these things have been repeating themselves over and over and over and over again in my family. See, here's the problem. Christians don't want to admit that they have a past that's been influenced. I I don't mean your sin and your shame. I don't mean that. But there's something that's been influencing your behaviors and your actions and the way you feel and the way you believe that have influenced that. Even when they do, Christians want to try to erase their past by denying it. And that never works. Listen, look at me. Salvation doesn't erase your past and your memories. Salvation does erase your sin. Scripture is very clear. As far as the east is from the west, so far have your sins been removed from you. God cast them into the sea of forgetfulness. But you still have those things in your mind. But you aren't helpless and you aren't alone. Abraham, who was, I mean, one of the greatest examples of faith, was a man who lied twice in order to save his own skin and put his wife at risk. Isaac, his son, did almost the exact same thing to save his own skin. Isaac's son, Jacob, was literally just known as a deceiver and lied to his dying father, lied to his father-in-law, and lied to his brothers to such an extent that his brother wanted to kill him. Down the line. Down the line. And if you look at your family, if you look deeply enough, you can find qualities that you're not proud of, and even worse than that, you can start to see those things in yourself. As a parent, my children are grown now. They're 24 and 22. But now with, you know how, I don't know about you, but things look so much clearer in the rearview mirror as a parent. So strange through the front windshield, but so much clearer. I realized the times that my children frustrated me the most were when they acted like me the most. And specifically, the things that I didn't like in me, that's when they first, and do you know why? Because I didn't want to see that in them. The frustrations that I have, I don't want to see that in them. 
And I realized that. But here's the, you're not helpless because here's the thing. My, my parents made a decision. All of that brokenness for generations on both sides of the family, they made a decision. They said, we'll draw a line in the sand. And alcoholism, drug addiction, broken relationships, they stop here. And no matter what it takes, no matter how long it takes, no matter what we have to do, by the help of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, those things can't go any further than right now. And the thing that it did for me was the exterior and, and the external pain of shame that I felt out there, I felt great comfort and security and pride in what my parents were doing and therefore began to change me. Not only that, that little decision that was made by my parents and one other um, part of the family to, to stand in the word of God begin to influence all of the extended family to such an extent that most of them have broken free from all of that as well. But if you don't face it, you'll never turn to God and allow his power to reach to the places that you need his strength and healing to be in. It's absolutely necessary. Third thing I want you to say is if you're going to have deep change, change requires that you make peace with your most painful wounds. And you must choose to forgive. It's the hardest thing you're ever going to do. The hardest thing. The biggest problem with hurts is they tend to identify us. We allow them to. Jabez, he's linked to the pain that his mom endured. If a parent is an alcoholic, and that child is a son or a daughter of an alcoholic. If they have drug addiction, that child is son or a daughter of a drug addict. We tend to identify those things. And most of your pain is associated with a person or persons. So Jabez, it's his mom. The pain that you endure is associated with somebody. And that somebody begins to settle in your spirit and you become not only wounded, not only hurt, but you become bitter and resentful, not of the thing that happened to you, but at the person. Here's the truth. Hurt people will hurt people. Most of the hurt that has been done to you in your life has probably been done by someone who was hurting you didn't know it. But here's the other truth. Forgiven people will forgive people. The disciples of Jesus were curious about this whole concept of forgiveness. They knew about forgiveness. I mean, they had, they had sort of rules that in, the, in the religious teachings that they said that if, you, if someone came to you up to three times, you should forgive them. So Simon Peter comes to Jesus and asks a question in Matthew chapter 18. He says, Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? And he knew that standard was three. So he said, seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied. Seventy times seven. So what Jesus used in this moment was this idea of, of extreme. So to be so extreme and ridiculous in the concept that it seems overwhelming. Seven times? No, 70 times seven. So he's not putting a cap, okay? He's not saying you're in your relationship, you keep this you know, checklist and you're, gonna, you're on 489, one more and you're out of here. You know, that's not it. That's not it at all. What he's saying is this, it's an astronomical number when you think in a relationship. He said, that's how many times you need to be willing to forgive someone because Jesus knows it is so important that we forgive someone. And forgiving is not about the person being forgiven. It's about the person doing the forgiving. It's you releasing that hurt and that resentment 
and giving it to God and putting it into the hands of the one true righteous judge and trusting him. That's what forgiveness is. Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. At the end of the Lord's Prayer, he even goes on and says, for if you forgive others of their sins against you, your Father in heaven will forgive you. But if you don't, your Father in heaven isn't forgiving you. At first we go, wait, my salvation, I didn't think that was conditional. I mean, is is Jesus putting a condition on my salvation? I've got to do this in order to be saved? No. Forgiveness is not a requirement of salvation. It's a barometer of salvation. The fact is, unforgiven people find it almost impossible to forgive someone. But forgiven people truly deeply forgiven, find it almost impossible not to forgive someone because they understand the depth of what they have been forgiven in their life. Jesus actually hanging on the cross as he's paying for my sins and your sins. Jesus lifts his head up, looking out among everyone who is watching his crucifixion, most of them with excitement and glee, And he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Think about that. Who is he looking at? Who is he talking about? He's talking about the religious leaders who for years have been trying to catch him in something where they can kill him and get him out of the way. He's talking about political figures who are using him to advance their political career, Herod and Pontius Pilate. He's talking about disciples who pledged their allegiance they would never leave him and they've mostly abandoned him. He's talking about soldiers that are carrying out the orders and literally driving the nails in his hands and feet and raising him up and putting a spear in his side to guarantee that he would die. He's talking about the crowd of people gathered around cheering on his death who days before were crying out Hosanna to God in the highest and proclaiming this is the Messiah and they've turned on him that quickly. Forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. See, forgiveness covers intended sins, intended hurts, and unintended. I don't know the mind of the religious leaders or Pilate or Herod or any of the others. I don't know the mind of the soldiers. It may not have made any difference or it may have made a world of difference if they truly knew this was the Son of God that could have changed everything. The person that hurt you may have actually intended to hurt you and wound you deeply or they may have no idea the devastating impact that action or those words did to you. But that's not what matters because it's not about them. It's about you releasing and giving it to God, crying out to God so that he can release you from the pain, the affliction, and the harm that that hurt has done. And God is waiting so he can say, just like that, and God granted their request. Forgiveness is not denying hurt. When Jesus is on the cross, he doesn't say, I'm good, this doesn't hurt. He's in agony. Yet he says, Father, forgive them. He's not justifying the hurt. He's not looking at them and saying, it's okay, this is fine. It's not justified. And, and you don't justify the wounds that have been done to you. I'm not asking you to do that. That's the mistake we make sometimes. In relationships, someone will say, I'm sorry, Can, will you forgive me? And we respond with, that's okay, or it's okay. Not okay. What they're apologizing for and asking for forgiveness for is not okay and don't act like it was. But you can respond and say, I do forgive you. And you can release that. Forgiveness is not justifying it. You're not making excuses for that. What you're doing is releasing your right 
to hold it in your heart and seek in your mind and heart vengeance against them. Forgiveness doesn't even mitigate the pain right away. I mean, when Jesus says forgive them, he doesn't go pain-free. He endures. There's a healing that'll come. What happens is, it's not about denying, and it's not about justifying, and it's not about mitigating the pain. Freedom releases the hold that the hurt has on me and you. Eight years ago, I was at a conference in Texas. And the speaker, I, the speaker was talking about forgiveness and bitterness and things we hold on to. And I can take you to that church right now. I can take you up to the balcony where I was. I can probably just about find the seat where I was. And he challenged us. Whatever the wound is, whatever the hurt is, Name it, name the person in your mind and say out loud, I forgive you. Three people popped into my mind that I hadn't thought about, I hadn't designed, I didn't go in there going, I wish somebody would talk about this because I got them on my mind. There's the Holy Spirit doing a work that I think he wants to do in you today as he reveals those things to you. And as I mouthed those words with sincere heart and said, I forgive you, there was a release in my heart, a bondage that had been holding on to a piece of me that was now liberated and free. That's what I want for you. That's what God wants for you. I dare you this morning to name the hurt and name the person and verbalize it with your mouth and say, I forgive you. You don't even have to say it to the person. That's not even necessary because it's not about them, it's about you. It's your release. Whatever that hurt is, whatever that person is, you can just right where you are say, I forgive you, I dare you. I wanna see you free. I'm from Mississippi, I double dog dare you. Like really? Because I know what's gonna happen. I know the liberty and I know the joy and I know the peace that's going to replace that bitterness and that resentment that you sometimes even deny that you have. God wants to release it today. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Look, earlier I told you that it's almost impossible for an unforgiven person to forgive someone else. The first thing God wants to do today is to give you the forgiveness that he offered through the cross. And that comes by yielding your life to Jesus Christ. So if you're in this room and you know that when you came in here, things weren't right between you and the Lord, I want you to pray a prayer like this. Lord Jesus, thank you for all you've done. Thank you that you are exalted above all and that you chose to come to this earth and you chose to pay the price for my sins. So I ask you to forgive me of the way I used to live. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me from that old life. Give me new life. Help me to obey your word and your spirit so that you will lead me in the way everlasting and I'll never be the same. Now, if everyone in the room would just pray this prayer, say, Jesus, I give you my life. Come on, one more time. Jesus, I give you my life. Now, with your head still bowed, eyes still closed. I'm not going to embarrass you. But if you know when you came in here this morning, things weren't right between you and the Lord. But you said, I'm making a decision to follow him today for the first time or the first time in a long time. If that's you, I want to pray for you. Would you just raise your hand really high while no one's looking around? Keep it up just a moment, please. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah, keep it up just a moment. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. All right, you can put them down. Father, I thank you for these lives that have been changed by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, by the power of the good news. Thank you for that hope that is being received deep within them. And thank you for the joy that you are placing in their lives right now. I pray, Lord, also for the rest of us in this room, those that are experiencing hurt and wounds and pain, 
that maybe have been hidden for a long time, maybe they've denied it for a long time, but Holy Spirit, in these next few moments, you're gonna reveal that to them. You're gonna reveal the pain. You're gonna allow them to name the pain. You're gonna allow them to name the wound, name the person, and then verbally just say, I forgive you in the name of Jesus. And Lord, as you do that, let healing come into our hearts by Christ's holy name, amen. And amen. I want you to stand with me, please. So here's what I want you to do. In your mind, not out loud, in your mind, right now, name the pain, name the wound, name the hurt. In your mind. In your mind. Name the person in your mind or the persons. Name them in your mind. Identify them. Now I want everyone in one accord to verbalize with your mouth and say, I forgive you. Do it with me. Let's say it. I forgive you. Say it again. I forgive you in Jesus' name. As we worship together, I want you to now release that to him and allow the joy of the Lord to begin to invade your heart where the place of resentment and bitterness once resided right now. Our prayer team is going to be down here. If you have a need for anything, our prayer team is going to be here. We'd love to pray with you. But those that are in the room right now, allow joy to come into that place where resentment used to live right now. As our prayer team come, please come. Your sight 
the truth today running into your arms is running to life from death and I feel this rush deep in my chest your mercy is calling just as I am you pull me we sing it again. He saw us and long before my first breath running into your arms is running to life from death and I feel this rush deep in my chest your mercy is calling out just those continue to pray here. I, I feel right now in this room, I didn't feel this in the first service, but in this room right now, there are some of you, your resentment and your hurt doesn't lie with a human. You blame God for your pain. You think he's been unfair to you. You resent the things that have happened to you and think God has not been with you. And I believe he wants to bring healing to your heart right now. And I want to pray on your behalf words you probably cannot articulate with your heart. Would you just bow your heads and allow me to pray for you? And I want you to just receive from the Lord right now. Father, we have been wounded and we have not understood why we've wondered where you were we've wondered why you didn't show up when we wanted you to show up we wondered why you allowed something to happen in our life in our hurt in our pain in our wound we have misjudged you we have called you uncaring. We have thought you be to be unjust. We have thought that you were unconcerned. And today, Lord, that bitterness and resentment that we've held deep within us, we recognize that you're a good, loving Father, and we don't have all the answers. We don't have all of the understanding. 
We don't know what was going on. We don't even know how you're bringing your plan to fruition in our lives. But what we do know and declare today is this, is that we trust you and the resentment that we felt in the past, we release that now in Jesus' name. And we run to your grace. We run to your arms. We run to your protective hands. We run to your hope. We run to your purpose for our lives. Lord, in every person in this room that has felt those, speak healing right now. Speak deep healing right now. Healing now. Healing now. Healing now. Healing now. Healing. I just want you to just declare to the Lord and say, I receive the healing now. Say, I receive the healing now. Holy Spirit, do your work you're trying to do right now in hearts. Heal, mend, take brokenness and give wholeness right now in Jesus' name. Do the deep work. Do the deep work. Run to the Father. Fall into grace, do it with the heart, no reason to wait. My heart found a surgeon, my soul found a friend. So I run to the Father again and again. I run to the Father, when we sing, fall into grace. I'm done with the heart, no reason to wait. My heart I'm so found afraid, so I run to the Father again, and we sing around. I run to the Father, I fall in the grace. I'm done with the hiding, no reason to wait. My heart found a surgeon, my soul found a friend, so I run to the Father, thank you. Holy Spirit, thank you. Lord Jesus, thank you for being in this room and healing us today. Because now we walk out of here, not broken but whole. Now we walk out of here and you can turn our sorrow into joy and our mourning into dancing. And we walk out of here with a boldness and with a courage and a conviction like we hadn't had in a long time. So Lord, we give you praise and honor and glory for all that you have done and all you're going to do in the mighty and the holy and in the strong name of Jesus, we ask these things, amen and amen. Come on, give the Lord praise in this place. Come on. Lift up your voice. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Amen. Amen. Hey, come on, celebrate with me. 11 people gave their hearts to Jesus Christ today. Come on. So thankful. So grateful. So proud of you. So thankful for you. If you made a decision to follow Christ, either today or in, in the last few weeks, our grow team will be here at the front of the um, uh, altar area and when you uh, finish. Love for you to come talk to them. Take two minutes. Or if you just want to get plugged in somewhere, these guys can help you get plugged in here at North uh, just as well. Hey, I also want to let you know that um, I wanted to, uh, I'm not going to introduce you to someone, but I'm going to welcome someone up here. They're not new to us, but they're new to this um, uh, pastor or position that they hold now. He's our new Connections pastor. And the, if you wonder what a Connections pastor is, that is someone that's... Yeah. Drew Norris is our new Connections Pastor, and if you want to get plugged in here, if you want to find your spiritual gifts, want to find a life group, this is the guy that will help you and lead you along the way. And uh, he's got a couple of things he wants to tell us about coming up. Aren't you glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning? 
Now, listen, I, I'm convinced now more than ever as, as your connections pastor, and I gotta say, I'm so excited to be in the, this position to be obedient to the Lord, but I'm convinced more than ever of, of the need for Christ-centered community. For, for this type of community that we see taking place at, at, at North, the community that, that goes out of this building, right? This, this need for Christ-centered community. And I don't wanna be selfish with this Christ-centered community. It's not just for me, right? It's for the community. And so I wanna challenge the people of North. I wanna challenge our, our, the people if you're here today. In a couple of weeks, we have a, a pretty well-known Sunday coming up. It's called Super Bowl Sunday. And we're effectively gonna be calling it Super Sunday. Ah, it's, it's, it's pretty clever, right? Pretty clever, Super Sunday. On that day, we're gonna have two services, two services. And, and the entire purpose of that is to ultimately to bring people who may be close to you, but, but probably far from God or people that need that community. I wanna challenge you this morning. Look to your neighbor with just one finger and hold up one finger and say, invite one person, one person. Tonight, before you hit your pillow, tonight, before you go to bed, I want you to write down the name of one person that you can begin praying for, that God would prepare their hearts, that God would prepare them to come and experience all that he has for them in the context of Christ-centered community. Would you invite just one person? February 12th is what day? Super Sunday, Super Sunday. Let's be the body of Christ and let's invite people in into Christ-centered community. Pastor Kirk. Thanks, Drew. Folks, I'm praying for you this week as we enter into the second week of 21 days in prayer and fasting that God's gonna to continue to do a deep work in each of us. Allow me the privilege to bless you from Numbers chapter six. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Let's give our response from Psalm 19. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. God bless you folks, love you, have a great one.